I want us to just take a moment and uh, reflect on a passage of Scripture. We create opportunities at times just to listen to the Word and then to respond personally between you and God. Just a chance to, to listen and maybe hear what He might have to say to you. So I'm going to read a passage out of Luke chapter 4. Uh, the unique part about this particular passage, Jesus has been living on earth for approximately 30 years. Uh, he's kind of just been a carpenter, uh, kind of incognito, going unnoticed. And then uh, one day, he shows up to the temple and declares that he's here uh, to do ministry, that he's here to do a work, uh, that he is uh, just declaring for the first time why he's here and what he's all about. And uh, so I want you to reflect on that passage, and there's going to be just a few minutes of silence, there'll be some... Uh, questions up on the screen that we're going to invite you to reflect on and, and to ask God what he might have for you. In Luke 4, verse 16, it says this, And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Take a few moments and reflect on these questions. Uh, so, a uh, lot has happened since we've been together last. Uh, I missed you and um, wanted to be here this morning and catch up on a few things. First of all, uh, Hoop Fest, right? That, wow. That, a lot of excitement here about HoopFest. That's amazing. KD was in the house, I heard, right? Those of you who don't know, Kevin Durant. KD, short for Kevin. Man, wow. Okay. Um, he was not in the house, like, literally in here, but uh, in the city. And uh, several people got their pictures taken with him. And, uh, and uh, I, the event was uh, awesome. Hopefully you had a chance to uh, rub shoulders with people downtown. Uh, our desire is to be a church in the city. And uh, so whether it's Bloomsday, Hoop Fest, it's a chance for us to connect with people, uh, to love on them well, and uh, hopefully took advantage of that this last week. Uh, also, as many of you know, uh, we had some family business we talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, those of you that are not aware, uh, some money was stolen from New Community. If you need to get the lowdown on that, on uh, June 18th, you just go online to new-community.com. Uh, the talk is on there, and you can uh, hear all about it. Uh, Kevin walked through it. Uh, the elders walked through it. And um, I just wanted to bring it up again. We're not going to bring it up on a regular basis. Uh, we are still in the midst of going through lots of steps. Uh, even this week, I met with uh, our lawyer and talked about different uh, options for us as a community and uh, what that might look like. And so we're in the process. We will, as I said, not update you weekly, but at times that are appropriate and necessary, 
uh, for the whole community to hear. We'll chime in and let you know kind of where we're at in the process. But uh, there will be a process for a while. And so just uh, bringing that up again. If you have any questions in the meantime, Dave uh, put a little thing in the bulletin. He is the guy. He's the go-to guy. He's got the answers. And uh, we'd love to chat with you if you have any questions. Uh, I'm sorry that I wasn't able to be here uh, for that. Now, to be honest, just pause for a moment. Secretly, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you thought, oh, family business, no Russ in town, <laughs> two and two together, this is not good. Uh, they say he's at a conference. Yeah, that's right. Um, but actually, I was. I was at a conference uh, in Chicago. And uh, I had the, the really cool privilege of going to the Justice Conference. Um, I have wanted to go for seven years. I'm seven years old and uh, have longed to be there. And I uh, had the opportunity this summer to do it. And it just got planned at a time, um, which uh, meant that I wouldn't be here uh, for this. But I uh, had a, a phenomenal time there. It was uh, inspiring, challenging. Uh, it was a, a great opportunity for me to continue to learn. Uh, one of the things that, that crossed my mind as I was uh, sitting with a group of people was that if you think that I am all about biblical justice, uh, about the desire and the need for the church to be about reconciliation, that our calling is to be a redeeming community for the city and bring about change in, in numerous ways in the city, uh, if you think I'm into it big time, I was sitting with about a thousand people who are seriously drinking the Kool-Aid big time, right? It was a group of people that are all in on biblical justice and wanting the church to actually be in a space where we're doing something about uh, what God is asking us to do in the world. Um, I was convicted again, and I think it renewed my belief uh, in the fact that the church has probably been for a long time in a state of lethargy. Uh, we've just been willing to sit back, uh, enjoy worship services and praise songs, try to seek comfort, lead a good Christian life, uh, all the while just kind of ignoring the plight of those who are marginalized and overlooked. And uh, so it was just a good reminder that we as the church have to continue to lean into that. Uh, to be the very people that carry out uh, the work of God in the world, and that biblical justice is part of our calling. So it was a good, good time to be away. I was able to spend some time also with my wife's family, and uh, a little family reunion at, at the end of that too. So missed you, glad to be back, and uh, this morning, excited about what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be starting a series uh, on wisdom. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll jump into that. Father, even this morning uh, we read the words of Isaiah as declared by Luke, that you have come to set us free, to declare liberty to the oppressed and the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, to have us love the captive and we believe that at the end of all things or the end of our time on this earth, we will give account for the ways in which we have looked out for the least of these, the ways we have actually done 
biblical justice. Uh, you've invited us to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. Uh, we desire to be about that. And this morning, God, as we begin a series on wisdom, we pray that you might fill us with wisdom, that this summer might be a time for us to be held captive by your word, that we might uh, drink deeply of the well of wisdom. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, as I said, we are starting a series on wisdom. The series is titled Lady Wisdom. Um, so, what we're going to do all summer is kind of bounce around uh, Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. We may even get into uh, Song of Solomon and, uh, and really look at what is wisdom. Uh, the scriptures, in a unique way, because uh, you might be asking, well, why call this series Lady Wisdom? Uh, the scriptures, in a really unique way, the writers describe wisdom as a woman. Uh, she's described that way uh, by numerous authors. And in fact, um, Eugene Peterson, for those of you that read the message, uh, he translates that or rewrites that idea as Madam Insight. That uh, there is this woman defined as wisdom. In fact, the Gospel writer of John even says that that wisdom is the logos, the word. For those of you familiar with that, it means it's the very nature of who Jesus is. So this summer we have the opportunity to look into um, this beautiful woman named Wisdom. And uh, this morning is really intended to be a bit of an introduction. It's to give you a picture of what we'll be covering this summer uh, maybe, hopefully, set the table for us to get the most uh, out of this section of Scripture. And uh, to do that, I thought I would give us a couple helpful guidelines. That if you're coming to wisdom literature, sometimes it's helpful to know a little bit of what to expect as you get into it, uh, so that we can all kind of be on the same page. So I wanted to give just a few uh, examples, a few ideas uh, to help us get started. Uh, the first is this. Wisdom literature tends to be pithy and memorable. Uh, the idea is the writers are writing in such a way that you will remember it. It's an oral tradition. Their uh, greatest desire or hope is that you would pick up on what it is that's been said, that it wouldn't escape your memory. So they give these uh, memorable lines, these ideas, these word pictures to help you capture a little bit of what they're trying to communicate. Uh, they're meant to be memorable, they're not meant to be like technically precise. So sometimes the way they're even described isn't exact as much it is as it is memorable. Uh, and they infuse in many ways the text with this, um, another way of saying it is that the, the text is pregnant with meaning. It's like wanting to deliver something to us that's uh, very significant and worthwhile. Uh, second idea. Wisdom literature often uses indirect communication rather than commands. So instead of giving directives or commands, which it occasionally does, uh, it tends to give more indirect word pictures, sayings, stories, things that like excite and uh, challenge and encourage you. Uh, another way of saying it is it's describing a way of life. It's trying to paint a picture or maybe set a table uh, with food, a feast, and you get to choose whether you partake or not. 
And when you do partake, you get to choose what it is you would like to acquire. It's like going into a buffet and you skip, some of you, I know you skip straight over all the vegetables and you go right for the meat, protein, the bacon, whatever. Others of you are like, man, I would love to spend my buffet money on a big, huge salad. All of us have different uh, intentions when we go into a buffet, but you get the idea that the, the wisdom literature is essentially this big buffet laid out before us, and it's a statement or a question as to what parts of it you'll actually choose. So it's a, a choice. It's an opportunity for us to invest, and in re- less about demands. More about choices, less about demands. A uh, third idea, wisdom literature offers us wise sayings, but not absolutes. Okay, They offer wise sayings, but not absolutes. So uh, please don't be one of those people that says, well, I was reading the Proverbs, and it says that if I obey my mother and father, I will have long life, and right now, like, this happened to someone I know, and they didn't have long life. It promises it right here. It's not a promise, right? It's a generalization. It's a, uh, not an absolute. It's a wise saying. So if, uh, if it says to obey your father and you will have great wealth, it doesn't always mean great wealth. Or if it does, it means it in a more generic sense rather than a, a specific amount in a bank account, right? Uh, so understand that these are not necessarily guarantees from God, but uh, beautiful ways in which to live that often result in a uh, good life uh, at the end. Another idea, wisdom literature is repetitive. It tends to repeat. There's one basic reason for that. In uh, modern English, it would be this. We dumb, Okay. We need to hear it again and again and again and again. We need to experience life and then experience it again and then possibly again before it begins to sink in. Uh, That's why you hear people say things like, I'm trying to get it through my thick head or, man, I know that, but I actually haven't lived that. It hasn't made sense to me yet. Uh, So... The big idea really is uh, repetition is the key to learning. So wisdom understands that and continues to repeat. Let me give you one more kind of uh, helpful guideline for understanding wisdom literature. It's this, that wisdom wants to be found. That wisdom, that lady wisdom desires to be acquired, found, recognized. Now you see this in Proverbs 1, verses 20 and 21. It says this, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. You see words. Cries aloud, raises her voice, cries out, speaks. The idea is she's waving a flag. She's pointing attention. She's like, recognize me, find me. So wisdom is something that is meant to be found, and so much so that wisdom itself, or Lady Wisdom, is seeking to be found. I think it's also interesting to note when you look at that particular verse, uh, it's interesting to note that Lady Wisdom is not found exclusively in the church. 
If you've gotten the idea that uh, wisdom can only be found here, in this place, at a certain time, or even just in the Word of God, then we've failed to recognize the vastness of Lady Wisdom. That if you notice, she is in the streets and in the markets, at the city gates. She's on the street corners. She is in the world. You will find Lady Wisdom calling and beckoning you from every corner of the world. And the question is, are you ready to hear the invitation? So I think it's important for us to recognize a few of these guidelines before we jump in. The second thing I think that's important for us to recognize before we get into the passage we're going to look at today is this. We might want to answer the question, well, what exactly is wisdom? Uh, some of you already could probably answer that and quite easily uh, communicate what is wisdom. I like to think about wisdom as applied knowledge. It's uh, not just knowing a certain amount of facts. It's what to do with those facts. It's not just having a head full of information, uh, material that you've studied. It's not just going on and defending your dissertation and then now you have that knowledge or that wisdom that you've desired to acquire for a long time. Rather, it is applied knowledge. Another way of defining it is a skill at living or competence at life. It's a skill, a way to move in the world. Others might describe it this way. It's an ability to navigate the complex realities of our existence. It's the ability to navigate your way through difficult decisions, life choices, challenging events, the things that the world throws at you. Uh, some like I've said, would suggest that uh, wisdom is just factual information, but I think, it, again, it is far more than that. It is this ability to navigate a complex world. Uh, I would even suggest this, that it is an ability to recognize that the world is full of gray, and that's okay. It always has been. It's the ability to recognize there's more than just black and white and more than just right and wrong. There is better and best, and there is thousands of ways of nuance in between all of those things. And so wisdom is the ability to navigate through all of that. In some ways, uh, while you are being tossed in kind of the sea of life, wisdom is the ability to take a map and to take a compass to orient it and then to be able to navigate and say, this is where we need to go in light of everything. That's the big idea of wisdom. And what I want to do uh, in our brief time this morning is just speak about a few things that wisdom is to be. And I want us to use Proverbs 4 to do it. So if you have your Bible, just turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs 4. And I want to just give us a few things that wisdom is to be. And I think, uh, again, this is by way of introduction, this is supposed to kind of set us up for what is to come. Next week we're going to be looking at two of the most profound teachings in wisdom literature uh, as it relates to how we're supposed to live into wisdom. Uh, the following week after that, we're just going to keep building. Uh, we're going to look at the wisdom of being on mission in the city. Um, and then 
We're going to look at Ecclesiastes after that. I'm not going to give you the whole summer, but um, we're going to be working our way through the text. Um, three things. First one is this. Wisdom is to be valued. Wisdom is to be valued. In Proverbs 4, it says this in verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Value it. It's significant. Uh, In Proverbs 3, it describes it this way. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. You get this idea that uh, Scripture is saying, pay attention to the value and the worth of wisdom. That you have to have it. That it is precious. That it is costly. It is of great value. I don't know if if you have ever had something that you uh, were told had great value or great worth. Uh, maybe when you were growing up, uh, you had this like family heirloom that kind of sat in a prestigious place in the house, and your mom was like, if you ever knock that off, if you ever break that, I will probably break you, you know? Like we had one of those, it was this like 100-year-old lamp, ugly as death, but a hundred years old, and it was like passed down generations, and my mom was like, don't, my whole childhood was out in the living room, do not ever break it. Years uh, later, I came home from college at one point, like, mom, where's the lamp? Like, the most precious lamp. Oh, I just put it away. What? Why didn't you put it away like ten years ago when I wanted to run through the living room? Not now when I don't live at home anymore, right? Like, there are certain things, maybe for you, you had this, like, unique, rare stamp or gold coin. Maybe there's something that uh, had great value that your family passed down. I remember growing up, one of those things uh, was baseball cards. I don't know if any of you have ever collected baseball cards. Has anyone ever collected baseball cards? Okay, Yeah. Uh, maybe basketball, there's all kinds of other sports, but for some reason, uh, baseball cards were like the thing to collect. And, and I, I didn't so much like baseball, really, but uh, my dad would go to the store with me, and he would say, all right, uh, let's, let's buy a pack of cards and find out what we'd have. And so we would get a pack, and we'd go home, and we'd open it up, and we'd pull the cards out carefully. And what we're doing is we're looking for something of value. And so you'd like look at the first card and it's like, oh, this guy barely even is on the team. Just put that aside. And this guy doesn't hit very well. And this guy couldn't catch a pop fly if he tried. And then you'd get to like a rare rookie card, like the best card you could find of the guy that you thought would be a star. Or you get that 
card of a veteran who's like proven himself over season after season. And I remember like we would collect these and we'd put them aside and try to take good care of them. And, uh, and I remember getting to the point where um, this is dating myself a little bit, but you, you would find these like Mark McGuire's rookie card and you're like, man, I'm going to keep a hold of that. Or there's Don Mattingly or Wade Boggs or uh, George Brett and Cal Ripken Jr. And some of these names I'm saying and you guys are like, I don't even know who you're talking about. That's okay. Um, Ozzie Smith, he was like the wizard, I think is what they called him. And so you had all these like people that you go, oh man, these cards are of great value. And you thought, I got to hold on to these. And I remember it was um, years after we had been collecting them and, and we, didn't, we didn't buy a ton, but just enough to like kind of dabble in it. And uh, one day my dad said, hey, let me, let me take you to the basement. And uh, you know, I, I kept some cards. And I go, you kept cards? Yeah, from like when I was little, my brothers and I would buy them, and, and we'd kind of set them off to the side, and I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, let's go look at them. And um, before my dad opened, you know, the box of cards, he, he told me that, he goes, yeah, the bummer is like grandma threw away like three quarters of all the cards, but there are just a few that I found that I kept, and I've been holding on to them, Okay. Now, for any of you that know anything about baseball and about baseball cards, he proceeded to show me card after card. There was, I kid you not, uh, Mickey Mantle's rookie card, uh, Hank Aaron's rookie card, uh, Roger Maris rookie card, Stan Musial, uh, Lou Gehrig, Sandy Koufax, uh, Hank Aaron, the list goes on and on and on and on, and I'm going... Well, first of all, I'm going, well, like, who are these guys? I mean, I knew some of them, but the rest I didn't. And he's showing me card after card after card, and then begins to tell me, like, the value in them. And for some of you, again, you're like, well, it's just a piece of paper. And for others, you go, no, there's some decent value in those cards, right? And what the Proverbs is saying, or what wisdom literature is saying, that whatever you think you have that's of value... Whatever you would put a dollar sign on, whatever you would put claim in, whatever you would say, oh man, this is valuable, it should be set aside. What the scriptures are telling us is whatever it is pales in comparison to wisdom. That if you could have anything else, that if you could acquire all that is in the world, the thing that you would give it up for, the thing that you would set it aside all for is wisdom. It even says this, she is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. What Solomon is doing is he's painting this picture. Get anything, get wisdom. If there's anything you could acquire, he's essentially saying, think about this for a moment, he's saying if you could acquire anything, what I want you to acquire is the ability to navigate through life in a way that allows you to sail through all its complexity and find yourself coming out the other side. And so wisdom is, first of all, to be valued. The second thing is wisdom is to be sought. It's to be sought or pursued or chased after. Proverbs uh, chapter 4, verses 20 to 22 says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my saying. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them 
within your heart. Here's the key. For they are life to those who find them. And they are healing to all their flesh. They are life to those who find them. Wisdom is to be sought. In Proverbs 2, it also says this, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It's to be desired, pursued, chased, sought after. It's this uh, intense desire or passion. Um, Some suggest that when the uh, Hebrews were reading through the book of Song of Solomon, that uh, their initial interpretation of it was not about a husband and wife in a relationship. It wasn't even about like this desirous lover. It was the affection one has, and Solomon has, for wisdom. Which essentially is another way, way of saying that like, you're supposed to have like the hots for wisdom, right? That you're supposed to be so desirous of wisdom, to pursue it, to long for it. Um, it's the thing that you would put your heart and your mind to. It's the same way that some of you might chase a particular goal. The way some of you chase the thrill of adventure. The way some of you chase maybe a spouse or a promotion. It's the way that we put our heart and our mind to something and what the scriptures are teaching is that wisdom is to be sought. It's to be pursued. The f- third and final thing is uh, wisdom is to be lived. Wisdom is to be lived. In Proverbs 4, verse 1, you have this uh, really small and yet simple saying that says this, Hear, O sons and daughters, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you might gain insight. In the NIV, it says it this way, Listen, my sons and daughters, to the father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. Now, that might not stand out to you as like a really significant teaching or a really big idea. Uh, but the point here is this, that there in verse 1 is the word for pay attention. And the way for pay, word for pay attention is used at least eight other times in this section of Proverbs. And every time it's used, it's a particular Hebrew word that means to hear, which is pretty obvious, right? But also means to heed, to obey, to follow. So, meaning to pay attention is equal to the idea of heed or follow or obey, right? So, essentially what the writer of Scripture is communicating is that you just don't hear something. To hear it is part of it. To follow it, obey it, do it, is when you know you've actually heard it, right? That wisdom is some, not wisdom until it's actually obeyed until it's actually followed. And you notice in this first section of Proverbs 4, over and over it brings up this idea. Uh, In the first four verses, it says to hear or obey in verse 1. It says to be attentive. That's that idea for listening or paying attention. It's this Hebrew word. Uh, Do not forsake. Hold fast. Keep. 
It is this intersection, these commands are all about this same singular idea. And the idea is this, that the Proverbs in this particular section demand obedience. That if you say you heard something that implied in hearing it is that you did it, that you followed it. It's, in other words, wisdom doesn't become wisdom until you have applied knowledge. Not just hearing the thing, but doing the thing. And you see this idea all throughout scriptures. Uh, in 1 Samuel, many of you probably know this particular story. But in 1 Samuel, you have this moment where the king, King Saul at the time, uh, had just uh, kind of done a raid of a neighboring city and uh, took everything, but in the midst of taking everything, did not follow the instruction of God. And Samuel comes to the king. And the king is in the midst of sacrifice, right? He's in the midst of saying, hey, I've done something really good. I've accomplished something great for God. And Samuel comes directly to him. And he says, to obey is better than to sacrifice, right? To heed, better than the fat of rams. And to heed, to hear, to listen, to pay attention, is the same Hebrew word. What, what Samuel is basically saying is, didn't you hear what God said? If you heard it, why are you doing the opposite? That means you didn't hear it. You didn't live it. You didn't follow it. In fact, he says that's so important. He says to pay attention or to obey is more significant than the right types of rituals, having your devotions every morning, having pious excuses. It's more important than lip service. It's more important than offerings, sacrifices, church attendance. You name whatever it is you think allows you in some way to have right standing before God other than grace. And what Solomon or what Salom is saying and what Samuel is echoing is that to obey is better than any of that. To follow what you're listening to is the most important thing. Again, this is echoed in the Scriptures in James. Maybe you've heard the phrase, do not merely listen to the Word, do what it says. Right? James is echoing the same idea. In fact, in that section in James where it's talking about it, it says there's this phrase or this Greek word that talks about wax in your ear, basically saying you haven't heard, because your, your ear is stuffed up with wax, you haven't heard, and the reason I can tell you haven't heard is because what? You haven't obeyed. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, right? And the, and the word there for listen is a word that's echoed again and again in the Scriptures. If you think I'm mistaken, it's used over a thousand times in the Old Testament, the same word, and it's used again over 400 times in the New Testament. And it's that word listen, and that word listen always implies, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, and that use of the word always implies obedience. That wisdom always implies obedience. I would suggest that in the Western world, what we have done is we have separated or created a dichotomy to say, I have knowledge, 
And knowledge has little, if anything, to do with action. I can read books, tuck away the information, call it a day. It doesn't mean I have to do the thing. I can know about environmentalism, recycling, taking care of the earth, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to just throw everything in the landfill. I, I can know about what it means to be kind to my neighbor, and it doesn't mean I'm not going to be a jerk. Doesn't mean We have this idea that we can separate, and so in our mind what we do is we're all about information mastery. If I can learn a little bit more, if I can uh, understand more nuance, more ideas, more more information that does not always translate to character formation. And I would argue that what the scriptures is saying 100% of the time is that you don't truly know something until you do something. You can't truly claim to have wisdom unless your life is reflecting that applied knowledge, that wisdom lived out. The summer for us is not just about acquiring more information. The summer for us is about applying it, about being the kinds of people that live the way that Christ is inviting us into. And my encouragement as we kind of think about this series this summer is to start by recognizing that wisdom is to be valued, it's great worth, it is to be sought or pursued but most of all, it's to be lived. And my hope is that we would lean into this understanding of Lady Wisdom this summer. Let's uh, stand for the benediction. This is my prayer for us, my blessing over us this morning. New community, may we be true followers who accept our commission to invest in others. May we live out the kingdom here with humility, wisdom, and courage. May God grant us eyes to see where we have been set free and the path to lead others to that same freedom, and may we pursue wisdom. We leave here to bless others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great week. You're dismissed.